nonprofit sector connector coming at you from the top of my house. You know, I'm in the attic, just below the roof, above the second floor. My buddy Steve Fry, who comes on after me, always says TGIF. That's one of the ways he starts off. I was born on a Friday. It was a lot of years ago myself, but uh, I always like Friday. It's a special day, and uh, it's exciting to have my show start each Friday morning here on TalkRadio.nyc. I am Tommy D, Tommy DeMisa, the nonprofit sector connector on a little show I call Philanthropy and Focus. And the focus is on the executive leaders of nonprofit organizations. I believe, and you know it if you listened to me before, I believe that the nonprofit sector always makes an incredible impact. And if it wasn't for the sector, I really don't know who makes that impact. So I appreciate the sector. I believe that the sector on a whole goes overlooked, underfunded, and unrecognized at times. And my answer to that problem or challenge is this program, Philanthropy in Focus. And it is my focus to amplify the message of these nonprofit organizations, help them tell their story. And what's big for me is the ripple effect. I talk a lot about the ripple effect. I was uh, I, I had the fortunate opportunity to be interviewed just yesterday on my friend um, Dino Varelli's show. He he has an organization called uh, Pro, excuse me Project Purple, and they do a lot of work in the uh, research and support of people dealing with pancreatic cancer, which is which is a terrible tragic disease. Um, but you know Dino and his organization have found that light to to really make an impact on people going through that. I had the opportunity to be on on Dino's show yesterday, and we talked about the ripple effect. We talked about when we connect with people, and, and if you picture the, the pebbles in a pond and how far the ripples go and, and the trajectory um, of people's existence and lives that are changed through relationships and connecting and the impact others make on each other's lives. And I'm setting this up all for who we have on my show today, because when my guest, Ron Anderson, and I spoke earlier this week, doing a little uh, final prep for, for today's program, I, I, I was just so touched. Um, I'm sure we'll get emotional today on the show, gang, because what Ron and his group are doing are literally changing the trajectory of, of individuals' lives. You know, we, we know that people all come from different walks of life, different socioeconomic conditions, and oftentimes those conditions have the potential to influence um, or impact the way we might go for better or for worse. And when, when it comes down to, and Ron and I are going to dive into the conversation soon, but when it comes down to that, it's, it's those who are affected in a negative sense through their socioeconomic, where they were born, who their parents are, things of that nature, that sometimes need the, the help, the support, the leverage. Uh, you know, I think a Dr. Larry Grubler came on my show a bunch of months ago. He was actually the second guest. He's the uh, CEO of TSINY, Transitional Services for New York, here in, in New York City. Uh, serving 4,000 individuals with mental health. But he talked about on that program, it goes back, and he's back in January at this point, but he was saying, we all need support. We all need a help, man. You know, you know, different levels of help, Ron, right? Different opportunities we all have. But God, man, if we could just be, if we could be compassionate and help each other out more and connect with people and, and reach that hand out and pull somebody else up, I think we're better off as a society. A society and I think you know, when I had this opportunity just yesterday to be on Dino Varelli's show for Project Purple, it was more where I got to tell this the, the, kind of the Tommy D story and, and philanthropy and focus and things like that. That's not what we're going to do today. We're going to learn about Ron's organization, Project Reclaim, and he's going to tell us the stories, the anecdotes, and, and like we do every week, who is the individual that's on the show with us today? What is their story? How maybe were they impacted and how were they influenced to 
to become involved with nonprofits, specifically in, in Ron's case, we're going to talk about the Project Reclaim Youth Leadership Institute. So without further ado, I just want to read a couple bullet points about my new friend, Ron Anderson, National Conference of Community and Justice Brotherhood Sisterhood Humanitarian Award winner, uh, award finalist in the Blue Cross Blue Shield Angel Award. He was the first recipient, apropos, I guess, the Ron Anderson Champion of Youth Award, so that for volunteers uh, for youth justice, the Louisiana Association of Educators, Human and Civil Rights Trailblazer Award, the Liberty Bell Award from Shreveport, Louisiana Bar Association, and twice named one of the 10 most outstanding leaders of the community by the Shreveport Times. Shreveport, Louisiana for everybody, right? It's, this is a Zoom universe, gang. You know what? We're, you know, Ron didn't have to drive up or I didn't have to drive down. We're meeting, <laughs> we're meeting virtually. And although I did sort of tell Ron that, you know, one of these days I want to get down there and, and get some home cooking and, uh, <laughs> and, and learn about what you're doing in the community. You know, if, if Shreveport was around the block, we would have met in person already. But Ron, without further ado, if, if you could jump in first, I like to always say to my guests, welcome to the show. Welcome to my attic virtually um tell us a little bit tell us your story man you know just let's let's kind of break it down for people um because i think the stories are are what tells the mission or what talks about the impact so take it away please ron anderson project reclaim of minden okay happy to do so tommy and thank you for having me on your program um as a teenager living in dire straits uh poverty around violence uh there was a prediction for me, a couple actually, uh, that I would either die in the streets or end up in Angola State Penitentiary. And the circumstances of my life at that time, Tommy, were so dire that I believed those predictions. I believed them. And uh, the thing that delivered me, if you will, is that I came across individuals that had a vested interest in me that didn't have to. They were educators, they were counselors at our schools, they were assistant coaches and coaches and assistant principals and people that really, really cared. And as I oftentimes say, they saw things in me that I was blind to. I remember one of uh, the assistant principals, Mr. Grover C. Lewis, an absolute prince of a man. He told me one day, he said, Anderson, have you ever noticed that you're a leader? And Tommy, I had not. And he said, have you ever noticed when you're standing on campus, people tend to congregate around you? And it was just happening. It wasn't anything that I was really cognizant of. But when he pointed that out, and the, the thing that helped me as well, too, my dear mother, may she rest in peace. One of the things that she created for me was as a foundation is that when I was a little boy of four or five, she taught me the joy of reading. So she would read to me, and I can remember those days just very vividly of sitting next to her and her reading to me. And it's one of those times that I valued. And I bring that up for this reason. That gave me a foundation that when people reached out to me later and tried to get me to turn around with some of the behaviors that I was exhibiting, some of the violence that I was exhibiting, you see, the adaptive skill that I learned is that you responded to frustration with aggression. And it's what I learned. And it's what I saw, what was modeled for me. And it was what was acceptable in the neighborhood where I grew up. And when people reached out to me to get me to change some of those behaviors, I had a foundation. It was a choice for me, Tommy, in school. You know, I had a choice to do well. I could make the honor roll if I wanted to. So there was something there to work with. And these individuals in my life, they saw those things in me and they helped to delve into 
uh, my psyche and to my soul, actually, and get me to see those things as well. So those people delivered me from a circumstance that was so dire that I thought my demise was imminent. I thought that uh, my potential was gone. I thought that I would end up in prison and I believe those predictions, but they also uh, placed within me a spirit of service that later on in my life, I would delve back into and resurrect, if you will, in order to help young people that come from circumstances similar to my own. Thank you for your candor. I, I, I mean, you know, it, it's the stories that, you know, some of us um, may not share or might be, you know, embarrassed by, but this is real life and this is really what goes on, Ron. So, I mean, I, I, I mean that fully. Thank you for being so candid with that. But, you know, you, you say adaptive, um, you became, you are adaptive, but you, you looked at frustration you, or you, your frustration translated into aggression. And, and that was like how, how you sort of acted out. And then you said, you know, that's what was modeled for you. And that's what was acceptable. So if you're, if somebody's in that sort of environment, that that's what they're seeing, that's what they're hearing, maybe even they're lauded for doing that sort of behavior. Exactly. Then, then what the heck do you do? You do that stuff, right? Like whatever that is, if it's acting out, if it's clowning, if it's violence, as you say, you know, paradigm, that's the paradigm you're in. That's that an individual is in. Whereas if you're in a completely different element, 180 degree difference from that and, and, you know, good grades and, and proper behavior and, and being respectful is, is lauded. Then you, you know, the individual does that. So it's, you know, it's, I, I guess, I mean, I'm not a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but that, I guess that's human nature, right? What, what we think we're supposed to be doing from the people who are bigger than us, larger than us, older than us, we look to them for, for uh, ways to learn, what to do, how to do it, right? So, you know, I, I want, I want to, there's so much here. I, I want to talk about, you know, the fact that you, you were drawn to service and, you know, I want to get back to the books too with your mom because I, I have a, I did a day of service with the book fairies just last weekend out here in Long Island and they've given 3 million books to other organizations who need books. So literacy is at the core of a lot of, you know, the, the, the injustice and, and crime and, and oh, poverty and all that. I'm sure we could talk about that. But let, why did why do you think, I'll tell you a quick story too. When I was in uh, many, many years ago, you know, I started working for a major uh, payroll company, ADP, and I was in sales. And I'm similar to what you're saying about being tapped as a leader. You know, whereas, not that I didn't realize it, but I was, I was asked to manage teams of salespeople. And I always said, no, I, I don't want to do it. And for, for a long time, I, I always said, no, it wasn't something I was interested in. And then a, a senior manager came over to me and goes, look, because I was kind of acting, I was in my 20s, I was kind of a wise guy and, mm -hmm. you know, like prima donna sales guy, right? Making some money, the whole deal where, you know, uh, dr maybe drinking a bit too much at that point in my life. I haven't had a drink in case you're listening to the show and you never know before. Uh, I haven't had a drink in um, September will be 11 years. But at that point in my life, I was drinking. I grew up in the bar business and uh, was a wise guy. You know, and I had this guy pull me aside and he said, you know what? Listen, whether you want to be a leader or you don't want to be a leader, you're a leader. So yeah. he said something to the effect like this, Ron. Could you stop acting like a jerk? Like it was like that kind of point blank. Like hit me square like between the eyes. And he was like, could you stop? And he, I don't think he used the word jerk, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. I think he called me something else. But the point was like, clean it up, kid. Like clean it up. But it was, why do you think those, those 
those educators, those leaders in the community, you know, why do you think they reached down to, to Ron Anderson specifically? Do you ever, do you consider that? Do you think about it that they were like, this guy's got potential. He's going somewhere. We got to help him out. I dare say, Tommy, I think about that daily. Do you really? Yeah. Yeah. Because it was the salvation for me. You know, I think that at that time in the seventies, the there was a cultural difference where people cared about what happened to young people in the community. And it wasn't this, this driven thing about money and, and, and hoarding and, and ego. It was genuineness in, in what they were doing. As a matter of fact, I, I put together a workshop, I call it Window, and I provided it to various educational groups and parishes. We have parishes here in Louisiana rather yep. than counties. Yep. And I've gone all around the state and I would do this. And what I would try to, to have the educators understand is the strategies that people used in order to reach me. And one of the basic things, and it may sound trite to a lot of people because we're not getting into brain science and endorphins and brain structure, and we're not getting into that. But what it came down to is these people were genuine. Mm -hmm. They were real. And when you grow up in an environment such as the one that I grew up in, you're hypervigilant. I mean, you watch everything because you have to be. Survival, right? Exactly. Straight up survival. Exactly. And one of the things I point out to those educators is that when I'm looking at those people, the June Turners, the already Mims, the Grover C. Lewis's, the Minnie B. Anderson's, the Beverly Johnson's, all of those educators, I could tell by their, not only their demeanor, uh, they, they, they weren't writing me off. They weren't dismissive of me. They wanted to see better for me. And they were genuine about that. You know, I mentioned to you when we prepped earlier you know, you and I can pick up on somebody that's disingenuous, but not as fast as a child. Huh. A child will, will pick up on that immediately. And that's been in my 30 years of experience in working in the community and working in the streets and working in the hood is that they're hypervigilant. They're, they're checking out. You're scanning your environment for threats. And when you can view in someone's body language and their demeanor, you know, they're not rolling your eyes when you mention something that's painful to it. They're not looking at their watch when you're mentioning something that that's harming you. Uh, what they're doing is they're all in. And I think that there was, it was a cultural feature to that. It was a time when, and I'm not saying people don't care now, but I'm saying, and I've mentioned this to my wife, if I came through education today, I doubt if I'd make it. So, so, so you may have those self-fulfilling prophecies would have fulfilled themselves. Yeah. Yeah. You remember Ron when, and you got, you got some years on me. So, you know, you grew up in a different time. I I mean, I I grew up in the the eighties and nineties again, white guy, Long Island, different, you know, different environment for sure. Um, But like I said, you know, when we prepped last earlier this week too, it's like, I know what I know, right? Like we can only know kind of our path and then we can reach out and learn other things. But like, I remember hearing things like, you know, and I still see it. I saw somebody post something on, on social media yesterday. It takes a village. Yeah, like yeah. it takes a village, but like, I don't know if that's like where I live. I feel like we got some real community where I am, you know, like when you're dealing with something, people help you out. People, you know what? I'll grab these kids and I'll take them over here and you do this. And you know, somebody's sick in the community and, and people are like, I, I got you, man. Like I, I feel mm-hmm. that where I am right now. Um, I don't know, though, that my my expectation is it's a different time and and 
I don't know that I would see that everywhere. Not that people aren't good, not that people aren't compassionate and and don't care, because I think people do. But I think some of the comments you made there is people get caught up in doing the thing, getting the money, getting the stuff, putting Mm -hmm. the stuff on a shelf, going out and get more money, putting more, whatever that all is. And maybe that's a, 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 you know, uh, because of how challenging life can tend to be from a financial perspective, right? Now, you know, uh, if it's a if it's a family with a husband and wife, maybe both people have to work to get by to make it all happen. Whereas, you know, maybe only one person had to work back in the day. You know, although I don't know what it is, but I don't think that 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 it that that community is there like you're talking about. And at, again, I I try not to sound so negative, but I just think what I try to underscore on this show is we need more of that. We need more of the names. I mean. These are relationships with these people that looked out for you. What are we talking about, Ron? Forty years ago, mm-hmm. and you're rattling off these names, you know. And, and my expectation is getting to know you a little bit. You probably still have relationships with some of these people, so you're able to, to say these names, although some of them are probably past at this point. But they were that influential. I just wonder, from a community perspective, did you have you seen a difference, like in your own little microcosm of the world, where? where educators and the people who did this in the past are not as inclined to do this type of work now. Uh, you're mentioning that cultural feature that I mentioned, yeah. um, that there was a sense of community, that people, adults in the neighborhoods would look out for the children in the neighborhood. Right. And it's a difference now. Don't say anything to my child. You know, right. you're, right, you're right, not right. in the position. Even, even the teachers, right? Like where where the educator was right before, now it's like, you know, no, I'm trying not to sound judgmental, everybody, but now it's like where the, the parents come to aid their child and the educator is wrong, right? And, and they come to the side. Of, is that what you're talking about? Exactly. And, you know, one of the things that I, uh, I've noticed is that when you meet individuals that are still community minded, uh, that still have that 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 vision of, of someone else reaching their full potential. I've mentioned to people frequently, these individuals, they were community minded. And being so, when they looked at me, they saw possibilities as opposed to liabilities. These individuals knew what I was going through. Minden is a very small town. But two things, they didn't judge me based on that. And another thing, Tommy, that was vitally important, they held me to the same standard that they held kids that had a dad in the household, that had electricity, that had three meals a day, that had a car in the driveway. I had none of those. So those excuses, me, the, the excuses were like, all right, we understand your situation, son, but we're going to push you. You're, you have to still, don't, don't use those excuses, right? Exactly. Like, yeah, like, and you know what? I would have resented that. If they would have cut corners for me yeah. and, you know, you know, poor little black boy from the project, you know, we understand and I'm, I'm going to make it easy. I would have resented that. Right. Yeah. And that goes to that kid. That goes to that kid looking at this and it's disingenuous again, right? Exactly. I, I got to stop. We got to stop one sec, Ron. I, I told you coming up that we were going to run out of time and we constantly run out of time on my show because we bring <laughs> we bring great guests and juicy topics. We Gang, it's Tommy D, Philanthropy and Focus. Ron Anderson and I, are, we're, we're chopping it up here. We got great stuff. I hate to take a break right now. So that means you all got to come back. We'll be back in two minutes. Ron, please, we'll be right back. Two minutes, gang. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 5, 8 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. 
As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. That's right. Cut through the static. Join Tommy in my attic every single Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern time where I amplify the message from nonprofit organizations. So Ron Anderson is the executive director of Project Reclaim of Minden. A couple of programs that we will get into shortly. Juvenile delinquency prevention programs for youth, parental involvement activities, and parenting training. The mission of this organization is to operate high-quality programs of integrity and fidelity designed to reclaim the promise, hope, and full potential of youth and families. Ron and I were just talking in the first segment about how his life was changed and impacted. I love that word impact, Ron. I talk about it all the time, how your life was impacted, affected, and and I, you know, not to be so bold to, tell, to say this is what I'm hearing, but that changed the trajectory of, of your life. Certainly, certainly. You know, the, the counselor that was really interest, instrumental, uh, Mrs. June C. Turner, may she rest in peace. Uh, I went to her. I, I engaged in an act of violence at school, and it was pretty bad. It was, it was pretty ugly. And uh, I went to her uh, because I realized I needed help. And the reason I realized that is because um, the principal threatened that uh, if I didn't have the boy's doctor bill paid that I hurt, that he was going to have me expelled from every school in the parish. I wouldn't be able to go to school anywhere in the parish. How so old were you, Ron, at that time? I must have been about sixteen. So, so now, so now, if if that didn't get taken care of, it, it's only getting worse for this young sixteen-year-old boy. Now he's not even can't even go to school, right? Exactly. So now I'm going to be out of school. So I realized then, you know, that I, I really need to reach out to someone. You know, there's a that that machismo is that you know you don't share you don't divulge you don't talk about what's going on with you but i remember going to a relative uh and uh, explaining to her that the boy's doctor bill needed to be paid and she said i know that's why you came to me she said i already paid it but one thing i need you to understand is 
I won't pay another one. And I'm tired of you. And if you don't straighten up, we're going to have you placed in a home somewhere. And I realized then, you know, I'm, I'm about to lose. I have nothing and I'm about to lose even more. So that Monday I went to her and this is what was so foundational in turning me around. Uh, she went to a file cabinet, Miss Turner did, and she pulled out a manila folder and she went through it and she looked at me and she pointed in the folder and she said, your grades were really good until right here. And then she said this, what happened? That was like an epiphany for me because when everything around you is crumbling, the only common, common denominator is you. So you begin to think that it's me. But what she was expressing to me and what I heard uh, was that, you know, it wasn't, it was the things going on around me. And then she said this, you're not a bad child. You're an angry child. And she said, I'm going to work with you. She went to all of my teachers, Tommy. And she said, if this young man ever needs to talk, Release him from class so he can come see me. What does that mean for a second, Ron? I, I mean, I think I know what it means. You're not a bad child. You're an angry child. Does that mean to me a, a bad, something that's bad is bad and it's going to stay bad and that's exactly. what it is, right? But angry is something that can be changed and, and, and evolved from, for a lack of me being ready to, to, to say something else, but it can be evolved from and changed and transitioned, right? Exactly. And that's why that was so foundational and powerful for me because I thought it was me. Yeah. But what she illustrated to me is that there were factors around me that was making me behave and think the way that I was. And when she told the teachers that I could come to her at any time, Tommy, I respected that so much. I never abused it. Yeah. I never just said, well, I'm going to get out of class. So right, I'm going to go hang out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. I never did that. And then I recall this my junior year in high school, um, the Schools were integrated at the time. So all the juniors at Webster High School, where I went, and all the juniors at Minden High School took some kind of test. And I remember the class egghead walking across campus. And when we crossed paths, he looked at me and he said, test results are back. You made the highest score. And I ran to Ms. Turner's office and then she showed me the test results. And I'm going to tell you something. When I mentioned this, don't think overnight I just turned and became an angel. I mean, that anger and that rage stayed with me through my 20s, through my college years. So it's always you're on the precipice of it. But it began to put me on a path, as you mentioned, to change the trajectory of my life so that I began to see the possibilities within myself. So I give those people uh, so much credit. And I hope I don't disrespect or, or, or your audience in saying this, but I fully believe that God puts people in your path that and he works through them for you. And those people, they were, I wouldn't be talking to you now had it not been for them. And I try to replicate what they did for me. And when I do my trainings around the state, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm teaching those individuals, those educators, the same strategies that those people use for me, you know, of being mindful of the what was causing my behavior, of not calling me bad, of not judging me because of the circumstance that I lived in. And as I mentioned, they didn't cut corners for me. They held high expectations for me, just like anyone else. So when I graduated from high school and then tripped everybody out, went to college, <laughs> and I recall when I went to a dorm room at Louisiana Tech after class one day, just kind of hanging out. And this guy never said this to me at the time, but he said it to me later after we had graduated. He said, when you came in the dorm room, everybody just hanging out. He said, 
you went and sat in the corner and pulled out a book and started reading. And he said, I had always thought, what is this thug doing down here on campus? So there were still people from Menden that had that impression of me, but they hadn't seen the change in me. So I graduated from college and I was able to pursue a career. And I was, I don't think that I, I was, I think service called me. I didn't say this is what I want to do. I think it called me. And I think that it's enabled me to utilize what the, those individuals did to reach me, to reach out and to try to help and embolden and empower so many youth that live in circumstances uh, similar to the ones that I grew up in. I think that's a perfect time to just take a quick break again, because when we come back, I want to really, so you're, you're coming out of college, service calls you. I want to know what that looks like. And then I, so I want to hear, how does this project reclaim start? How does this become a thing? You know, obviously like everything else I, I've been talking about lately, I say everything we look around, we look around the rooms we're in, everything came out of an idea. This came out of some idea. So I want to know about that idea. I want to know about the the programs when we come back and, and who we're impacting, how, how the, how the organization is impacting people. So let's do that. It's Tommy D philanthropy and focus. Mr. Ron Anderson is here from project reclaim of Minden. Okay. That's Louisiana. And, uh, just for, for those folks who might not know, like I didn't know before we became friends. <laughs> so, uh, so we'll be back in just about 90 seconds. Ron will be telling us about how service called him and how he is being that servant leader for people who really need that. We'll be right back. Do you feel uninformed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. 
attic. And actually, today you have the opportunity. I, during that last commercial break, as well as this Tommy D. Philanthropy being focused, Ron Anderson's here, Project Reclaim of Minden. Uh, right, right during that commercial break, you might have heard my commercial, you might have heard my buddy Steve Fry's commercial. So, uh, Steve Fry, always Friday. In it, just in case you don't get enough Tommy D on this program, we got a double dose of me. After this, I will be on Steve Fry's program, Always Friday, and he's going to be interviewing me and letting me tell my story and how that really uh, uh, impacts and is resonating with the world. So uh, looking forward to that. That's going to be exciting. So if you're listening now and you want to listen to more of me and Steve Fry, just uh, stay tuned on the network. Ron Anderson's here. I want to read something again on Project Reclaim. Project Reclaim is a leadership training program for youth who may not ordinarily be selected for leadership training. Our focus is to provide the involved youth with the requisite skills to become successful, contributing members of society by helping them to be positive young leaders in their homes, schools, and their community. So Ron Anderson is here. He's, he's, he's an inspiration to me for sure. Um, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate this conversation. You're, you're, you said on the last segment before we took a break, you said service called me. I, I might be misquoting, but it was something to the effect that you didn't necessarily say, I'm going to go do service. But I remember you set up in the first segment, you, you talked about service, even from your mom with reading the book and all that when you were four or five years old. So what does that mean? Service called you like, what's that? What did that look like? What happened there? I was teaching uh, in a mental health, mental retardation program at Southern University in Shreveport. And there was a program in Ledbetter Heights, the bottoms in Shreveport, rife with, uh, with a gang there, uh, violence, a lot of drugs. And they had a program there called the Lighthouse. And uh, that program was trying to salvage some of the lives of young people in the community. And I learned about that program and I was approached by people that worked there. And I don't recall how they met me or knew of me, but they offered me an opportunity to come to the bottoms to uh, be the executive director of that program. And I accepted it. And there were people that they didn't understand that, Tommy. They said, you know, you're here teaching, you know, you could be here and be comfortable. But there was a part of me that was called to not be comfortable, but was called to go down and to make a, a difference. So I went down there and worked there for about 15 years. And we were able to send a lot of kids off to college. We were able to do, help a lot of kids become gainfully employed. We just did a lot of things that were helping youth and families. Then the opportunity presented itself in my hometown of Minden, which is about 30 miles east of Shreveport, to do something similar here. And so we uh, started Project Reclaim. Project Reclaim actually started where we uh, rented out the Minden Civic Center one Saturday morning early. Uh, we recruited boys from around the community to come out at seven that morning, have a little breakfast, and to hear some men from Shreveport and from Compton, Louisiana, that were former gang members that were trying to turn their lives around. And we wanted to help these young people, these young men get on the right track. I'll never forget it. That morning, I saw boys on their bicycles at seven o'clock in the morning coming and crowding that huge room at the Menden Civic Center. Tommy, they were ready for somebody to say, you know, I, I want you, I want you to do and be better. And so while we were doing this, I looked up and outside of the glass uh, doors, there were girls out there wanting to get in, clamoring to get in. So we let them in. And so I was still doing the lighthouse in Shreveport. And, you know, we did that project reclaim here. And I said, you know, it'd be wonderful if I could do that in my own hometown. So doors were open to do that. We had a grant from uh, 
uh, juvenile justice in, in, in Louisiana to uh, help kids, prevent kids from getting in trouble. And we did that grant for about three years. We're fully funded. We had after-school programs. We worked with parents. Uh, we did a lot of different things with the kids. And uh, they took our funding after three years. Someone made the decision that they were going to take that prevention money and put it into juvenile secure facilities. Wait, oh, hold on a second, sir. <laughs> so instead of instead of preventing the, the activities, instead of being a good influence in the lives of these people, you're, they took that money to, to detention centers? Is that exactly. what you're Come on, exactly. man. Come on, Ryan. Exactly. I mean, this is what, like, what, now I'm going to get on my soapbox, ladies and gentlemen. So get ready. Here it comes. Seriously, is that what we're doing? Like, is that the kind of work where, we're, like, politicians are making those sort of decisions? I'm, this is the stuff that makes me kind of crazy, Ron. You know, like, you, you know, we can, it, it, we can go in and we can try and address and fix a problem, be a catalyst for change, right? Or we can, we can find ways to lock young people away in a penitentiary or put them in the system or get them jammed up. Right. That, that that's what, and that's, I, I don't get that. Like, you know, listen, if you, if you think I'm out of line and you're listening to my show, call me up, let's figure this out. Cause I don't understand that. Like what, how does, how, and again, yes, I'm not naive. Probably business is involved. There's money somewhere that's, that's moving hands and that's part of the problem. But I, God, man, if we could just do the right thing and figure out how to get people what they need, you know, people wouldn't, we wouldn't have to put people in a penitentiary. I, I have, Ron, I have this new friend, um, Angel Rodriguez. I'm, and in the last 10 minutes, I'm thinking about how I can connect him. He's up here in New York and, and uh, founded an organization called Avenues for Justice. And they advocate, so out of the Lower East Side, probably the same time, you know, in the 70s, um, Lower East Side in New York City, I, as I've been told, I wasn't there, but as I'm learning, was was in distress was a war zone and i'm using that word but i don't know if that's appropriate but that's what i when i when i've been told about it, it was pretty bad maybe similar to the diet straits you're talking about in, in some of the communities that you uh you were in, in and involved with like but they they advocate for these young people in court young people who mm -hmm. who, who who as a product of their environment and society similar to earlier in our conversation they get jammed up they get jammed up because that's what they saw right you said that's what was modeled and that's what was acceptable. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, gang life, you know, robbing and, and, and doing bad things, right? You know, inappropriate violence, whatever. That's, that was, they were, you know, that's what you did. You know, whether it be selling drugs, being involved with whatever all that is. And now, and, and sometimes like when, in talking to Angel, now Angel is, and I can't wait to meet him in person. He's like a, a celebrity down there in the Lower East Side of New York City because he's impacted the youth it, families, generations of people, you know, he refers to them as kids and he's some of these men are 50 years old and he goes, this kid came in with that, or this kid came in with that. And, but, but he's, he's been down there, but he's, a, he's in the community. And like, I, I don't look, I'm not going to solve all society's problems. I'm certainly not going to do it this morning, but what I probably not even on this program. Am I going to do that? <laughs> That's kind of funny, but it, it's, it's influencing these things. So, you you lose the funding. I'm sorry I, I, I pull us back and go into these tangents, but it gets me kind of gets me a little crazy. What you lose the funding. Did you have to go find new funding? What did you do? How how did you how did you reclaim pro project reclaim? How did that happen? Well, I re I readjusted our focus. I had to narrow it. I couldn't do the after school programming anymore, but I would go make home and school visits and uh I, I served as a volunteer for several years. I didn't get paid a dime. 
And I was blessed to have the kind of wife that said, I support you, I'm behind you, because she really believed in that vision. So I was still working with the same kids and then I made an arrangement at a Menden Housing Authority to use their huge gymnasium to meet on Saturdays as our flagship Youth Leadership Academy Day. I want to back up a little bit. You mentioned something that I really want to emphasize to the audience. I was doing some youth leadership training for an area parish school. And I noticed that I worked with kids in that parish, but I was there all day and kids were rotating in and out of our rooms to learn about leadership. And not one of the kids that I worked with came through those rooms. So that was uh, where I started beginning to think that, you know what we need to do? We need leadership training for the kids that don't get selected for leadership training, because usually it's your A and B students, it's your star, your star athletes that they select. So I went out and I started reaching out to kids with this criteria, they're performing below academic potential, uh, tendency to be disrespectful and disruptive uh, in the academic setting in the classroom, uh, living in a high crime neighborhood, maybe a single parent household, uh, and they're free and reduced lunch, which means poverty. And I'll tell you something, Tommy, I was in Florida speaking about Project Reclaim a couple of years ago. And I was going through my notes the night before, and I was looking at the referral criteria, everything I just mentioned to you. And I saw something that had never occurred to me before. And I called my wife in to look at the screen and to discuss it with her. When I looked at that referral criteria, you know what I had done? I had created a program to serve me when I was a teenager. Young Ron Anderson. Yes. And I never, I, I, I swear to you, I had never consciously said, okay, I'm doing it for this reason. You, you didn't say, here's what I needed. Let me make something that no. looks like that. Yeah, no, right. No, I just did it. And yeah. that's why I mentioned that service called me. And I'm, I'm a, just a full proponent that sometimes something calls you because you're needed. And I'll tell you something that happened to me that was um, years ago that, that just, it, it brings me to tears today. Uh, one of my vehicles um, was needed repair. So I drove it over to Shreveport. Uh, and I got a, a, a loaner. They had a vehicle there for me. So I had on a suit and tie and I had my briefcase because I had meetings that day. And I was walking up this incline to go into the service department. And as I was walking up the incline to my left, the walls of that automobile dealership are mirrored. So as I'm walking up the incline, I looked to my, to my left and I saw the reflection of the man that I was looking at and it stunned me. And it hit me at that time. That's why those people did what they did. That's why they invested in me. So that one day I could be dressed thusly. I could have the automobiles that I have. I could go out and serve in the community. And I stood there several minutes. The people in the dealership probably thought I was nuts. I don't know. (laughs) But I stood there because I was stunned. And the first thing I said was, you know, thank God that People were placed in my path to help me. And the next thing that I had, because this moment was truly an epiphany. I mean, it was perfect clarity at that time. I understood why those people did what they did. My next thought was this. I want some of the kids that I work with one day to have that same epiphany. I want them to have that same experience. This is why Mr. Anderson cared so much about me, because he wants me to live this kind of life. So we're teaching kids leadership and socialization skills. We're doing podcasting. We're doing television production. And these are the kids that some people are saying, you know, uh, I can't work with them. I was in a meeting yesterday and somebody brought up something uh, that is just anathema to me to mention that 
you know, this kid can't learn. And I'm thinking, whatever you're seeing out of this kid, he learned it somewhere. Right. He learned something. He can learn. You're, you're just not teaching. You, you're having trouble getting into him. Right. Exactly. That's what it is. Right. Exactly. All, all of this stuff is learned. Right. Whatever. All of it's learned. Exactly. <laughs> right. Because, he, he might just be learning the wrong stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So just like me, when I learned violence, people helped me to unlearn that. Yeah. You know, when I learned to be frustrated and to this day, Tommy, I don't know how to argue. You don't know how to argue? I don't know how to argue. I've never argued. Where I grew up, people didn't argue. I mean, it's one word and another word and, you know, know, it's fireworks. And to this day, I don't understand how two people can become that emotional and not become physical. And not become physical. Yeah. So arguing is not a part of my repertoire. I think my wife is eternally grateful that (laughs) I I don't know how to argue. And it's just something I don't do. And some people have said, well, you need to learn how to. But I've got to keep that genie in the bottle. You know, I'm over half a hundred years old. But I still wrestle with the same things. I don't want your audience to think, well, you know, it's magical and all All like 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 he figured it out and it's all good no these are the demons or the challenges or whatever these character traits that we that we live with but we keep them at bay right you you wrestle with it every day you know of learning how to keep things uh how to deal with things and it takes a lot of emotional and cognitive effort to uh not return to some of those ways uh, of not being how you used to be i'm just so thankful for those individuals I'm sorry to cut you off, sir. You can tell that story because you live it. So when there's a young person, whether he's 26, 16, or a six-year-old, right? Exactly. Like you can say, I, I get it, man. Like, I feel you. I know what you're living with. I get it. I was, I, I, and it's not, I was you one day. I still am. Like, I, and I, you know, to compare it, I mentioned today, I don't mention it a lot. It just kind of came up, but, you know, I quit drinking because it was the right thing for me to do for my life, Right. Mm-hmm. People battle with this stuff all the time. And it's not something you necessarily figure out. It's something you just kind of live with. And you, you know, you know, you, you don't, you know, it doesn't go away. All these kind of things, whether it be mental health issues, you know, whether it be substance abuse, you know, you just got to battle that. I'm going to, we're going to take a quick break again. We're going to come back around and we come back. I want you to spend a minute or two. Just tell me about the programs, what it looks like in the organization. And then we'll talk about the future of, of uh, project reclaim a minute and, and really maybe some things you need as an organization that we'll bring it to a close. So, uh, we'll come back. Programs, where the where the future of this organization is going. It's Tommy D in the Attic, Philanthropy in Focus, every Friday morning, 10 a.m. Stay tuned. We'll be back in two minutes. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. 
This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. That's right. We cut through the static. Join me in the attic. One of my boys calls me Mr. Static. One of my sons, he decided to stop calling me Tommy D. He calls me Mr. Static right now from the song. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so look, Ron Anderson's here. We're going to draw this show to a close. But I, I want, Ron, just if you could. So Project Reclaim. Uh, out of Minden, Louisiana. Ron, tell me, what exactly is the user experience for these individuals, these young people, when they come through the program? What, what does it kind of look like for them? Well, we have provide leadership training for them. We want them to learn what leadership is. Uh, we talk about leadership styles. Uh, we just make the distinction between good leadership and bad leadership. Some people are incredible leaders, but it's, they're bad leaders. Uh, gang leaders are incredible leaders. They know how to reinforce behavior. They know recruitment. They know all these strategies to get people to do things. And I want these kids to make the differentiation between good leadership and bad leadership. And they're challenged. They're challenged uh, with our creed uh, to become the best leader that they can. And also we teach socialization skills. Uh, we teach conflict resolution skills. You gotta know how to handle conflict in the proper way. And then we also have some academic support. We use the Ascend uh, math platform that was donated to us, and we were recognized as a gold medal school. You were just telling me about the other day. Yeah, what, what, tell me about Ascend. Tell me about that. Well, it's a program. It's mathematically based, and the kids log on, and they have their own password and ID. They're giving pretests to test their basal levels in different types of mathematics, and then they're giving activities to, in order to show, uh, help them to increase their skills in mathematics. And uh, we were one of the programs, not only now nationally, but internationally, that was recognized as a gold medal school in a small town in the northwest corner of Louisiana with about 13,000 people. And I'm very proud of that. Um, We have a parents organization called PACT. They named it Parents and Children Together. Because uh, one of the things that I found, Tommy, in doing this work, uh, you've got to impact the dynamics of the household. Uh, You can't just work with the child in the household and then send them back. There's got to be something that helps to change the dynamics in the household or reinforce the things that are going on good in the household. So we have parent meetings. We have parent involvement activities. uh, We involve them in some parenting education. And then we ask them to be a support of one another. As you mentioned, be a part of that village that's raising children together. 
Uh, we recently started podcasting. Uh, we bought our podcast equipment and we're getting ready to launch that. Uh, we have a professional videographer that's worked with us, uh, Mr. Lloyd Davis, who teaches kids about using, I mean, state-of-the-art video equipment. And also we teach interviewing techniques so they can do some of the things similar to what you're doing. But I want you to look back at the kinds of kids that primarily we're working with. It's kids that other people saying we're having these difficulties with. Year to year, our outcomes are this. Over 90% remaining in school, most of the time, 100%. Uh, 90%, uh, 100% remaining free from involvement in teen pregnancy, uh, also promoting to their next grade level and remaining free from involvement in juvenile court. Uh, we feel if you stay in school, you promote from one grade level to the next, uh, we keep you out of uh, becoming a parent before you're equipped to do so, and we keep you out of court in juvenile delinquent behavior, you can make it. So year after year, our outcomes 90% or higher. And I'm very proud because if you look at the population that we're working with, uh, people sometimes look at them and say, well, you know, what are you going to do? Well, we do it. You we do, get them in. Like you, you've established, here's the obstacles that are in the way, right? You know, yes. in pregnancy, regressing not advancing to the next grade let's get those obstacles out of the way exactly right? and support from 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 project clean but also support from the home right exactly now you're giving these folks what they need to to survive to to forget survive i mean that that is not just survival it's to thrive right thrive, it's, yes. to get, it's to advance it's to move the ball down the road but down the road move the ball down the field to so you can really become that individual that is making an impact. Give me one quick story, if you could, before we kind of wrap up of an individual, we don't have to use names, but somebody who, who was kind of maybe, you know, the Ron Anderson of, of this generation that you impacted, that the organization impacted, and maybe what he or she is doing now. Wow, I'll tell you what, there's so many. Um, I remember being at our local Walmart. We do have a Walmart in Menden. <laughs> and I remember being there shopping and young lady walks up to me and she's got on a military officer's uniform. Huh. And she came through our doors and came through our program. And I hadn't seen her in years. And she just says those two words that no bank can hold. She says, thank you. I I'm going to Bossier to do a life skills class at the Bossier uh, court for juveniles. And I'll get out of my car and I'm, I'm dragging my computer bag, rolling it rather to get ready. And a police SUV pulls up in front of me. It says Bossier City Police Department pulls up directly in my path. And uh, they're just sitting there. And I'm thinking, well, you know, what did I do? You know, what's going on here? And then the window rolls down and a young lady says, you remember me? <laughs> and I look at her and she came through our doors years ago. And when she was a teenager, she always said she wanted to be in law enforcement. And now she is. Or the young person that I see when I'm in the community and I'm, I'm sitting and I'm having lunch years ago and and uh, then the waitress comes by and I said, well, I'm ready to settle my tab. And she says, well, it's already been taken care of. And she points across the restaurant and there's a young man that you worked with years ago that's sitting there with his family and you didn't see them. And he comes over and we reminisce and talk and he says, thank you. And there's just so many stories. I mentioned that's legacy, Ron Anderson. That's legacy, man. That's Miss Turner. That's exactly. all those other names. That's all those people that reached out, put that hand out to help young Ron Anderson. And now your legacy is just, again, that's, that's the ripple effect, man. That that's it. I, I, I wish we had a few more minutes, but this just means 
we got to hang out more. I'm, I have to figure out how to get down pandemic aside when I can come down to, you said the, the Northeast corner of Louisiana, right? This Northwest. North, I'm sorry, Northwest corner of Louisiana. Well, you would give me directions. I don't think I'd end up in the, <laughs> in the wrong corner and then go, Ron, where are you? <laughs> I figured we, I want to just send a, a quick, uh, some gratitude out to, uh, to my friend and, and business colleague, Lysandra Scott. Who, who introduced and made this connection. It's all about networking. I call myself the nonprofit sector connector, but without Lissandra making this connection to Ron Anderson and this incredible organization, then this conversation never happens. And then you all never heard about this organization and what Ron has done. Ron, I appreciate all the work you've done. I use that word legacy because I believe it. I believe that you've created a legacy, but it's only because people created, you know, their legacy by helping you out. Right. And I, I just, so if we all could just reach out, help people out, be collaborative, the things I'm working on, hashtag 60 days of service. I'm doing 60 days of service for nonprofit organizations. Day three is in the books. We wrapped up 18,000 diapers to go to those in need yesterday. That was an incredible experience at the Allied Foundation. If you run a nonprofit, sit on the board of a nonprofit or like and know nonprofits, reach out to me. I'd love to do a day of service with a nonprofit. Um, Ron, we'll have to figure out how when I do come down, I can do some service with you guys as well. And I, I mean that wholeheartedly, not because we're on a radio show here. I want to come down and meet you and, and see what impact, uh, you know, I, I can witness and, and maybe be a part of helping some folks myself. Let's make that happen. I love that. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your friendship. Ladies and gentlemen, I will tell you, if one dose of Tommy D was not enough for you this morning, stay tuned here. I got my basket of sunglasses. Steve Fry's show is coming up. I'm going to figure out which pair of shades I'm going to wear. I look forward to connecting with Steve on that show. I look forward to connecting with you all. After the show with Steve and I, you can uh, listen in here. Jeremiah Fox with the Entrepreneurial Web. Joseph Franklin McElroy brings us home with wide, wise. Maybe it's wide content too, but wise content creates wealth. Stay here, talkradio.nyc. Connect with me, tommyd.nyc on Instagram. Same on TikTok. I am on TikTok. Yes, my kids think it's funny. <laughs> tommyd.nyc on the TikTok. Tommy D at Philanthropy and Focus. Dot com. That's the email address and focus is P-H-O-C-U-S. Ron Anderson, I appreciate you. I appreciate our new friendship. Thanks for being here. Have a great day. You do the same. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the U.S. battles mental illness? Hi, my name is Albert Dabba. I'm the host of the show Extra Innings. Extra Innings, I discuss the topics of wellness, mental health, and the experience of surviving multiple suicides within my family. Listen live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern to Extra Innings for discussions with sports figures, artists, mental health professionals, and many others. That's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Wise Content Creates Wealth. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Friday afternoon from 1 p.m. to 2. They say content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. Every episode features tools and tips for content marketing and business people telling the wise content stories of that success. Tune in every Friday from 1 p.m. to 2 on talkradio.nyc. 
Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbaro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 5, 8 p.m. Eastern, talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. 